0: ready for the word of God and I'm sure you are too. So please stand with me as we honor the word and welcome Pastor Jonathan to the platform this morning. Thank you Di. Happy Easter to you all. Resurrection Sunday. What a great day to be in the house of God. What a great day to be gathering, celebrating together and uh, yeah let me pray. And then I want to get into sharing a few thoughts with you about the power of this day that we're celebrating today. Father, I thank you for your amazing love, grace, and goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the day that we're celebrating. Not just any day, not just another year of celebrating Easter, but the reality and the power and the dynamic of all that took place on that day 2,000 years ago. Sometimes so hard to comprehend and beyond our our ability to understand. But today, Lord, we honor you and we worship you. We thank you, Lord, that we can remember and celebrate the risen Christ and all that that means for each and every one of us. I pray your special blessing on each and every person watching online, those who are here present today. And we thank you that the power of the resurrection can work in us, And through us, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give Jesus a great big clap and shout of praise. Thank our worship team who have done a great job. You may be seated. Well, I love Easter Sunday. Um, It's a great day. And uh, it is the most significant day in human history. And so it's a good thing that we're here today. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, there's a lot of other things that happen on Easter Sunday. There's a lot of other kind of things that take place like chocolate. And of course, the Easter bunny, I I have that job, you know, Christmas Eve, I have a a job I'm given on uh, the eve of uh, Easter Sunday, I have a job as well to sneak into the Room of the kids. Well, um, I didn't this morning. I, I, I my, uh, our daughter London prefer is looking forward to the cup of coffee more than the uh, uh, Bella. Sorry, sorry, Bella, Bella and London. I always get my kids' names mixed up. That's my, and that's my right as the father. And we always say that we believe in our house. Uh, we believe the word of God. The word of God says that the first fruits belong to the father. So we believe that that applies when it comes to Easter eggs. And when it comes to chocolate, the first fruits belong to me. And so I am really looking forward to that Easter egg that Di gave to Dan here. I'm really looking forward to grabbing one of those caramel-filled Easter eggs or cream or whatever they're filled with. But uh, great to be together today. If you're visiting our church uh, or you're watching online for the first time, we're so glad you're here. We want to always welcome new people with open arms. We want people to feel at home, that the house of God is a home. We are a family and that we love one another and that we can be a place where we can encourage one another and inspire one another and help one another to, be, to live our lives in a meaningful, significant, and purposeful way and be enriched by all of the relationships that we can have and share together. And we've always said our mission is to do three things. Number one, connect people to Christ. Easter Sunday, 44 years ago, I went to church, and a church like this, and it changed my life forever. Uh, and I, I, that's our passion, to help people connect with Christ. And then, of course, if you've been walking with God for decades or centuries, uh, some of you for millenniums because we were, some of us were born again in the last millennium. So we are, uh, we, we've, we've lived through millenniums. And uh, we, know, uh, we know that we can have an encounter with Jesus every single day that can cause us to come into all that God has for us and a greater understanding. Hey, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm off subject here, but I'm on a roll. When we get to heaven, you know what we're going to be doing? Do you know what? I don't believe that when we get, get to heaven, we're going to have an instant download and we're going to know everything. No, we're going to spend eternity discovering new things every day about God, about his creation, about his divine purpose. It is going to be an adventure. And I'm excited about it. Every day we can learn something new. We can have an encounter with Christ. Secondly, we can uh, we can be connected to our God-given purpose and destiny. You have a destiny. You have a destiny that's beyond just the job that you do. But God has a purpose for your life. That uh, and and the gifts and abilities that He's given to you are connected to His purpose for your life, so that you can with God's people, see his kingdom come and his will be done. And we all know we need that more than ever. And then, of course, to connect people to life-giving relationships. And we want to encourage people to build those life-enriching relationships. Many, many people have met their husband or wife in our church, and it always makes me happy when that happens. And so those are things that we're passionate about. We hope you feel at home and enjoy our service today. Well, today I want to share a message about, guess what, the resurrection. And the title of my message is Resurgam. Resurgam is the Latin word, and if you're looking at that, the V is not a misprint. The V is a Latin U. And that word Resurgam means, I will rise again. And I want to read a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 27. It's a little longer than I would normally read, but I think it's important to set the tone and frame uh, the message that I'm going to bring this morning. And again, we can refresh our understanding of the moments of that first morning, early in the morning, when Jesus rose from the dead. How many people wish you could have been there on that day? Oh, yes. Well, you're here today in the house of God, so that's a pretty good place to connect with this story. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive that this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. After three days, post tres dies resurgam. That's my Latin. I knew I studied Latin at school for a reason. Post tres dies resurgam. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. From the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And there they will see me for many months leading up to the tumultuous events that took place on that th- over that 3 day period Jesus had been preparing his disciples for what was about to come he had been seeding in them the idea that he would be the seed who would go into the ground and die and then spring up so that many other seeds could live. He was seeding in them the idea of the death of a seed and the resurrection of a harvest. He was seeding in them the idea that he was going to die, but he was going to rise from the dead again. And it is obvious to us that the disciples couldn't get their heads around that because their expectation and their concept of the events that ought to happen were very different to what Jesus was describing to them. They're not very different from you or I. And it's easy from our vantage point to look back at the disciples and shake our heads in astonishment that they were so slow to learn. But of course, as we do that, we understand very often our capacity to come to terms with what Jesus might say in his word and what we are experiencing in our own lives are very often so divergent that we struggle to bring come to a point where we can embrace the two extremes of what he has said, but we're not experiencing, and of what we're experiencing when it's not what he has said. And so they had the promise that God had given to them, the promise of a resurrection, the promise of all that was to come. And between Good Friday and the silence of Saturday, they came to Resurrection Sunday. They came from a point of confusion. They came from a point of of devastation to a place of realization. And as we reflect on the story of Easter, it's important for us to understand that these are not just historical events that took place that are disconnected from you or I. And I'm a great lover of history, and it's easy to look at these events from a historical perspective but it's important that we look at these from a personal perspective because the truths and the principles within the story are every bit as applicable to me and to you and to the world in which we live and so as we draw from these from this story I want to encourage you to insert yourself into the story and to start to digest Not only what they were experiencing, but how this connects and relates to our own human experience. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for you and I 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I love what Paul says. And in the message version of the Bible, Paul who had an amazing revelation of the resurrection because he was an opponent of the disciples and the followers of Jesus He only became a disciple at a later time after having persecuted them and and strongly opposed them. And he wrote this with his realization and revelation of the resurrection that came many years later. He said, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. So he highlights the center from which we can live and work. One man died for everyone. That's the good news today. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. You can respond and say, that's good news this morning. I think when someone dies in our place, it's good news. Maybe that's worth just putting our hands together and thanking God. He died in our place. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. Far better, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. And that's the message of Easter is that you and I can know resurrection life personally so that we can live in a way that we could never ever imagine living on our own that same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us and the message of Easter this word resurgam has within it the very essence of the message of Christmas it has within it the the that as Jesus promised that he would rise again, the promise that every one of us can, can embrace, that whatever we go through in life, whichever, whatever twists or turns life takes us through or we situations that we encounter with life, whatever tragedy, whatever heartache, whatever loss, whatever disappointment, whatever does not work out the way we expect it to or hope it to, Jesus said, Because I rose again, you can rise again. You can know my resurrection power in every single area of your life. That is the message of Easter. I will rise again, and we will rise again. I want to take a moment to just focus a few moments on the context in which we find that word resurgam. It's a Latin word, which I've said means... It's in the Latin Vulgate, the translation, Latin translation of the Bible. And it means, I will rise again. It is the only place it is used in the Bible. And that's significant, because the context in which that word is used is highly significant. The context of that word was in the mouths of people who were totally committed to making sure that Jesus did not rise again. It was spoken by the religious leaders of the day who were shaking in their boots. They didn't wear boots in those days, but in their sandals. They were shaking in their sandals because they were terrified that Jesus, what Jesus had said might actually eventuate. Or that his disciples might, because they didn't, they were were double-minded in all their ways, they thought maybe the maybe the disciples, if he if he didn't, it didn't happen, they would fabricate something and steal his body so that the the outcome of it would be far worse, which obviously took place, but not because there was a cover-up, or not because there was a stealing of the the body, but because the most amazingly powerful, significant, monumental earth shaking event ever took place took place because Jesus physically rose from the dead this was not a spirit that rose from the dead this was Jesus flesh and blood the one who Jesus said to Thomas doubting Thomas said to Thomas put your hand in my side put your finger in the holes in my hand And see if I am not flesh and blood, who broke bread and ate bread with the disciples after his resurrection. And the context of this story is that every power on earth and every power in hell was trying to contain Jesus so that he would not rise again. And that is why this word is so significant and the context of the word is so significant because the religious leaders were using all of their power, all of their influence, all of their energy to contain Jesus. They went to Pilate, the one who had done their dirty work for them. And they went to Pilate and they told him, make sure that That the tomb is well guarded. Because we don't want the disciples to come and steal his body. So they rolled a stone over the tomb. That stone that they rolled over the tomb would have weighed one to two tons. And they placed a guard. Back in those days, it was a Roman guard. They placed a Roman guard in front of the tomb. In the Roman guard, when a Roman guard was set in front of a tomb, there would always be four soldiers. And they would rotate their, their, due, their, their shift by every four hours. And every four hours, there'd be new, a new four soldiers who would come and, and, and guard the tomb. And if anyone, if those sol- soldiers fell asleep on their watch, it was instant execution. So there was no way that those soldiers were not going to guard that tomb carefully. And so Pilate said, take take the soldiers and set the guard and they set the guard and we read earlier in the story that when the moment of the unveiling of the resurrection of Jesus took place because let me tell you this Jesus was not resurrected because someone came and rolled the tomb away Jesus was in the tomb with a two-ton stone in front of the tomb and he was resurrected physically out of that tomb, through the solid rock. And the tomb was sealed. And the tomb was there with the stone, but Jesus had gone. And the context of this story is at the same time as the enemy was rejoicing, the devil was rejoicing with all of his demons that they had finally destroyed Jesus and contained Jesus in a tomb and his body lay lifeless in a tomb. And all of the religious people of the day thought, right, now we've done it. We've sealed him in. We've locked him in. The power of this story is that no power on earth, no power ever, in hell no religious power not the not the power of the most powerful nation on the earth at that time it was not the United States of America at that time it was the Roman Empire the most powerful nation uh imperial Rome were not able to keep Jesus in that tomb because of the power of the resurrection. And the impact and the power of that for you and I is there is no power on earth. And there is no power in hell, neither height nor depth nor length nor breadth nor things past nor present nor future that can separate us from the love, the power, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the healing, the restoration, the resurrection life that Jesus wants to bring to each And every one of us. And so as we look at this story and as we move on in this story, I want to take a moment to talk about how this word, resurgam, or resurgam, or whichever way you like to pronounce it, can not only be Jesus' declaration, but our declaration. That it can not only be Jesus's reality, but it can be our reality. I want you to think about that statement for a moment as it relates to your life. When you've experienced a loss, when you've experienced failure, when you've experienced disappointment, when life is telling you it's finished. When life is telling you this is, there's no hope that you and I can stand fast that that same promise that Jesus declared at that time is for us, I will rise again. Whatever comes against me in life, whatever mistakes I make, whatever failures, whatever goes on in my life. I have the capacity to rise again. Why? Because that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And it's exactly that that the Apostle Paul who articulates that so well. That just as Christ, Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the father now we also may live new lives that means new resurrection life I may not be perfect I'm still growing I'm a work in progress but I've got God's resurrection power in me and because of that there are three things that I want to talk about today that Jesus declared and we can declare things that can be our reality today So I can live, because Jesus said, I will rise again, I can live with new hope. Because Jesus said, I will rise again, I can rise again with new hope. Has anyone here ever lost hope? It's a terrible feeling to lose hope. I mean, I've said this before, that you can live for weeks without food. You can live for days without water. You can live for minutes without oxygen, but you can't really live without hope for a second. In the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's like a tree of life. In other words, when we lose hope, we become sick. It's a sickness. And of course, if you study psychology, psychologists will agree and they'll tell you exactly the same thing, the importance of hope. Hope is something that we all need. And all of us have experienced what it's like to lose hope. I know what it's like to lose hope. It's it's devastating. It's terrible. And when we read the story of the disciples, time doesn't permit me to go through it, but one of the great stories that I love so much is in the Gospel of Luke. And I love the way that all four writers of the Gospels all write the story of Jesus death and resurrection from a different perspective, all because they all had a different purpose through their book, Matthew, who wrote mostly about the king and the kingdom of God, and then of course, Mark, who was talked about Jesus, the servant, Jesus like an ox, Jesus the one fulfilling his mission, and John uh, John who was, who, who was the spirit man who, who talked about the spiritual uh, life. Unless you are born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But Luke was a, was a doctor. He was a physician, and he, he looked at the human side of the story. He's the one who recounts the birth of Jesus uh, most in, uh, in, in, a, in a more lengthy, uh, descriptive way. And in exactly the same way, the events that took place as the disciples lost hope. And there's a story about how two of the disciples, one of them by the name of Cleopas, don't know who the other one was, don't know why his name got left out. Maybe he asked God when he got to heaven, why is it my name wasn't included in there? But Cleopas was one of the disciples there walking along, sad, devastated by the events of Jeru- uh, that took place in Jerusalem, walking away from Jerusalem. And a stranger walks alongside them. And I want you to think about this. You may have heard this story before, but think about it again. This stranger was Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. I wonder how often you and I have lost hope. We have been in the depths of despair, and Jesus is walking alongside us, but we don't even notice that he's there. He said he would never fail us. He said he will never forsake us. And there Jesus is walking along with the two disciples and he says, what are you sad about? And they look at him and say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what just took place? I think of the irony of that. We could pause there for a minute and think about it. I think Jesus knew what had just taken place. And Jesus says, Tell me about it. They, this was Jesus of Nazareth, who we had hoped would be the Messiah. And they crucified him, and it's now the third day. And then Jesus began to talk to them and he said, Oh, slow and foolish to learn. And he gave them a Bible study and he told them about all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they 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 they, they began to listen. This is profound. And as they sat down and they ate bread, Jesus broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, they recognized the way that he broke the bread. And their eyes were opened. And immediately they knew that it was Jesus. And he began to tell them and reveal more to them about the events that needed to take place. His death in order that there could be a resurrection. How many of you know sometimes there has to be a death before there's a resurrection and so their hearts and immediately as their eyes were opened jesus disappeared and it says their direction turned they turned around and they went back to jerusalem they got back on mission they got back in line with their purpose their hope was restored and they left their hearts burning within them i guess they must have run back to jerusalem (laughs) They were so filled with excitement and joy about what it experienced. But their hope was restored. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And here's the thing that I want the thought, and it's a simple thought, but I I want you to think about this for a moment. Because of the resurrection, we don't have to live in hope. Hope can live in us. I don't live in hope. Hope lives in me. Hope lives in me because Jesus lives in me. The moment that I accepted Christ as my Savior 44 years ago, as a three-year-old boy. Yeah, you can laugh. As I accepted Christ 44 years ago, Christ came into my life and he lives in me. Hope lives in me. Joy lives in me. Peace lives in me. Now, sometimes I have to connect my head and my emotions with what's in me. Anyone else like that? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We all have our moments, but we can come back to that place. Hope lives in me. I don't live in hope. Hope lives in me. And so because of the resurrection, as I connect with Christ, as I connect with his resurrection life, hope lives in me and hope grows in me. And I refuse to give in to despair. I refuse to give in to a sense of hopelessness. I refuse to give in to failure. I, not because I'm, I'm dogged, not because I grew up in England with a bulldog spirit and I'm like a terrier, I won't let go. I'm like that. I don't give up. But more than that, because Jesus lives on the inside of me. And it's his resurrection life that keeps me filled with hope. I will rise up again. We will rise. The second thing is that because Jesus rose again, I can live, I can rise again with new Excuse me. Because Jesus rose again, I can rise again with new life. Remember the story about how Jesus had some friends, Lazarus, and Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they lived in a town called Bethany, just outside the gates of uh, city walls of Jerusalem. And news came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus kind of delayed. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> but he delayed his coming. It's kind of like when I'm going out the door wanting to go to church and my family tell me I'm coming. <laughs> Today I was the last one out of the door. <laughs> uh, I received that. My wife said, thank you, young man. I received that. And he delayed. And when he got there, Lazarus had already died. He'd been days. He'd been dead. And Lazarus' sister said, if, you had only, if you'd only come, he'd be alive. And Jesus said these words, some of the most profound words that were ever spoken by him. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I get goosebumps just reading that. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus said to her, the most important question that anyone could ever ask us, do you believe this? Jesus is asking us that question, do you believe this? Not just if you or I are followers of Christ and we know that when we die, we will spend eternity in heaven with him, that we will never die the second death, that we have the gift of eternal life. No, but in this life, we can know His resurrection power. We can know His resurrection life. We can see His resurrection at work in our lives. And she said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. There are some days that are defining days. All of us can think about certain days in our lives that we will never forget. Usually those are days that are days that define the rest of our days in some way, shape, or form. A couple of weeks ago, our son Bo was married. That is a defining day in his life. Some of us can think about days when we maybe started or graduated from college or graduated from school or there was a moment or a day That was a defining day when a door opened and it changed everything. And there are defining days that are good days, and there are defining days that are bad days. Good Friday was not a good Friday for everyone that was experiencing on the day that it happened. And yet it was a defining day that opened the door to the best of days, Resurrection Sunday. And sometimes, as we look at life, we, we see there are some defining days, seem, but days that seem to be defining days, where we say, I will never be the same again. I'll never be able to enjoy whatever aspect of our life it may have been that replenished our soul, or that, or that gave us joy, or that we would experience life and the richness of life that God has for us. Everything goes from vivid color to muted shades of gray. But Jesus said, because he rose from the dead, whatever loss, whatever pain, whatever heartache, whatever disappointment, even though we feel the pain of that as keenly as we ought to, he says, I came so that you could know my resurrection life. And out of this loss, there is another day. That loss is not a defining day. That failure is not a defining day. That, that heartache, that disappointment, those things that, that took place, they are not the defining days. There's another day that defines what took place on Friday, and that's Resurrection Sunday. And it's Resurrection Sunday, the third day that defines every other day. We are not defined by the first day, we are defined by the third day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So whatever it may be in our lives, whatever the enemy may whisper in our ears, that'll never happen. You lost that opportunity. This relationship can never be restored. There'll never be another relationship. There'll never be another opportunity. Things will never be the way they were before March 2020, a defining day that we all experience the ramifications of. No, that day, nor any other day, will ever define our future. Our future is defined by God and His grace. And the reality is that whatever void or whatever loss there may be, His resurrection life enriches our lives. And we know that if we put our faith and our trust in Him, we serve an eternal God. And we are Headed for eternity. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whatever things may appear to be dead, do never let the enemy sow that seed, that lie in your heart, that it's over. Never again will the third day, will the first day define our destiny or our future, our dreams our visions, our energy, our joy. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then the third thing, because Jesus rose again, I can rise again with new power. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can live with new hope, we can live with new life and we can live with new power. Jesus told his disciples, He said, I have to go so the Holy Spirit can come. So that the personification of God in one person, in one place, at one time, could be replaced by the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit who could be everywhere at every moment with every person that ever walked on the face of the earth. Think about it. God chose to encapsulate him in the one, Jesus, and because of the gift of his Spirit, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, 50 days later after, Je- after Passover, Jesus' sacrifice, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. 50 is in the in biblical numbers is a year of freedom. It's a year of release. There's nothing insignificant in the Bible. I'm just throwing that in there. If you're a student of the Bible, there is no number, there is no date, there is no event that is insignificant. What God was saying was, I'm sending my spirit so that you can know the freedom that I created you to live in. Because as John Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he sent his Spirit, so I can live with a new power. I've told stories in the past about how I, uh, when, I first ex- when I first came to Christ, I began to experience the power of God at work in my life, the ability to, to shake habits, drugs, and so on, that had been a part of my lifestyle for so many years, my addiction to nicotine, that in one statement I had a revelation of God's Word. The Holy Spirit said to me three days after I accepted Christ, he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Before that, the Holy Spirit had said to me, Jonathan, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then he said, sin shall no longer have dominion over us. I, I, I stood up and I said, in Jesus' name, I'll never smoke another cigarette as long as I live. And I never did. And the amazing thing was, I kept saying, I've been one hour, two hours, three, five hours, one day, two days, one week, a month without smoking. I began to know a new power at work in my life. That same power. that raised Jesus from the dead can work in you and me, whatever habit it may be, whatever difficulty it may be, whatever character flaw, whatever area. and, And that is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to each and every one of us. We can receive His Spirit. And like Di said, you can come to church and you can experience the Holy Spirit, but the good news is you take Him home with you. While you sit and eat your Easter egg chocolate. I'm going to get the worship team to come. I love this verse. It's one of the verses that I committed to memory many years ago, and it's in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets who prophesied about the death of Jesus, who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities. And it goes like this, and I want you to think about this, about the power that God wants to give us, his resurrection life. Anyone ever feel drained? Anyone ever feel sapped of energy? I get stuff in my inbox all the time about all these potions and pills that you can take, you know, that are going to give you that new boost of energy. And sometimes I think, oh, okay, I'll try that and... After two weeks, I'm thinking, I don't feel any different at all. And you get to the point where you take so many vitamins or vitamins, however you describe it, that you like a, uh, you shake, you rattle when someone shakes you because you've got so many vitamins in you. So this is what the book of Isaiah says. Do you not know, have you not heard that the everlasting God The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never gets tired. He never grows weary. And his understanding is never ending. Even the youths shall grow weary and tired. And the young men shall utterly stumble. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint. We can know His resurrection life and His resurrection power at work in us. I want to close very briefly with this story. In the, t- the 11th century, in fact, it was in 1087... St. Paul's Cathedral was built. And in 1666, when the Great Fire of London swept through London, St. Paul's Cathedral, the original St. Paul's Cathedral, was was burnt to the ground. I remember that date because 1066 was the year that William the Conqueror defeated uh, King Harold at the Battle of Hastings and the destiny of England changed. I remember 1666 because it was the year that the house I lived in in England was built nearly 500 years ago. And I remember 1966 because it was the year that England won the World Cup. So 66 is very significant. But in 1666, uh, Sir Christopher Wren built, uh, that was the Great Fire of London, and in 1675, Christopher Wren rebuilt what is today St. Paul's Cathedral. And the first stone that he laid, the foundation stone of St. Paul's Cathedral after it had been burnt to the ground, had written on it, Resurgam. I will rise again. And then, maybe we have a photograph of it, the capstone, which is the last stone that is placed on any building, had the word written into it, Resurgam. I will rise again. So the foundation stone and the capstone of St. Paul's Cathedral, the first stone that was laid and the last stone that was laid had on it, I will rise again. And to me, that speaks about the foundation of our faith and the fulfillment of our faith. The first and the last, I will rise again. And I pray that today that will be our foundation stone, that that will be our capstone, that that will be, if that were to be the last thing we said as we went out into eternity, I will rise again. Jesus rose again so that you and I can know his resurrection power in our lives. New hope, new life, and new power in Jesus' name, would you stand with me? Our team have a special song that has been prepared, and we're going to have a-